Chapter 41 of the Ontario Reader's Third Book by the Ontario Ministry of Education. Read for LibriVox.org by Lucy Perry in Bath on March 17, 2009. Maggie Tulliver by George Eliot. Adapted from The Mill on the Floss. Maggie and Tom came in from the garden with their father and their uncle Glegg. Maggie had thrown her bonnet off very carelessly and, coming in with her hair rough as well as out of curl, rushed at once to Lucy. The contrast between the two cousins was like the contrast between a rough, dark, overgrown puppy and a white kitten. Lucy put up the neatest little rosebud mouth to be kissed. Everything about her was neat. "'Heyday,' said Aunt Glegg, with loud emphasis. "'Do little boys and girls come into a room without taking notice of their aunts and uncles? That wasn't the way when I was a little girl.' "'Go and speak to your aunts and uncles, my dears,' said Mrs. Tulliver. She wanted to whisper to Maggie a command to go and have her hair brushed. "'Well, and how do you do?' "'And I hope you're good children, are you?' said Aunt Glegg, in the same loud, emphatic way. "'Look up, Tom, look up. Look at me now. Put your hair behind your ears, Maggie, and keep your frock on your shoulder.' Aunt Glegg always spoke to them in this loud, emphatic way, as if she considered them deaf. "'Well, my dears,' said Aunt Pullet, "'you grow wonderfully fast. I doubt they'll outgrow their strength. I think the girl has too much hair. I'd have it thinned and cut shorter, sister, if I were you. It isn't good for her health. It's that makes her skin so brown. Don't you think so, Sister Dean?' "'I can't say I'm sure, sister,' said Mrs. Dean, shutting her lips close and looking at Maggie. "'No, no,' said Mr. Tulliver. "'The child's healthy enough. There's nothing ails her. "'There's red wheat as well as white, for that matter, and some like dark grain best. "'But it would be as well if Bessie would have the child's hair cut so it would lie smooth.' "'Maggie,' said Mrs. Tulliver, beckoning Maggie to her and whispering in her ear, "'go and get your hair brushed. Do, for shame. "'I told you not to come in without going to Martha first. You know I did.' "'Tom, come out with me,' whispered Maggie, pulling his sleeve as she passed him, and Tom followed willingly enough. "'Come upstairs with me, Tom,' she whispered when they were outside the door. "'There's something I want to do before dinner.' "'There's no time to play at anything before dinner,' said Tom. "'Oh, yes, there is time for this. Do come, Tom.' Tom followed Maggie upstairs to her mother's room, and saw her go at once to a drawer, from which she took out a large pair of scissors. "'What are they for, Maggie?' said Tom, feeling his curiosity awakened. Maggie answered by seizing her front locks and cutting them straight across the middle of her forehead. "'Oh, my buttons, Maggie, you'll catch it!' exclaimed Tom. "'You'd better not cut any more off.' Snip went the great scissors again, while Tom was speaking, and he could hardly help feeling it was rather good fun. Maggie looked so queer. "'Here, Tom, cut it behind for me,' said Maggie, excited by her own daring and anxious to finish the deed. "'You'll catch it, you know,' said Tom, hesitating a little as he took the scissors." "'Never mind, make haste,' said Maggie, giving a little stamp with her foot. Her cheeks were quite flushed. The black locks were so thick, nothing could be more tempting to a lad who had already tasted the forbidden pleasure of cutting the pony's mane. One delicious grinding snip, and then another, and another, and the hinder locks fell heavily on the floor. Maggie stood cropped in a jagged, uneven manner, but with a sense of cleanness and freedom, as if she had emerged from a wood into the open plain. "'Oh, Maggie,' said Tom, jumping round her and slapping his knees as he laughed, "'Oh, my buttons, what a queer thing you look! Look at yourself in the glass!' Maggie felt an unexpected pang. She had thought beforehand chiefly of her own deliverance from her teasing hair and teasing remarks about it, and something also of the triumph she should have over her mother and her aunts by this very decided course of action. She didn't want her hair to look pretty. That was out of the question. She only wanted people to think her a clever little girl, and not to find fault with her. But now, when Tom began to laugh at her, the affair had quite a new aspect.' She looked at the glass and still Tom laughed and clapped his hands, and Maggie's flushed cheeks began to pale and her lips to tremble a little. 
"'Oh, Maggie, you'll have to go down to dinner directly,' said Tom. "'Oh, my!' "'Don't laugh at me, Tom,' said Maggie in a passionate tone, and with an outburst of angry tears, stamping and giving him a push. "'Now then, Spitfire,' said Tom, "'what did you cut it off for, then? I shall go down. I can smell dinner going in.' Tom hurried downstairs and left poor Maggie. As she stood crying before the glass, she felt it impossible that she should go down to dinner and endure the severe eyes and severe words of her aunts, while Tom and Lucy and Martha, who waited at the table, and perhaps her father and her uncles, would laugh at her. If Tom had laughed at her, of course everyone else would, and if she had only let her hair alone she could have sat with Tom and Lucy and had the apricot pudding and the custard. What could she do but sob? "'Miss Maggie, you're to come down this minute,' said Kezia, entering the room hurriedly. "'What have you been a-doing? I never saw such a fright.' "'Don't, Kezia,' said Maggie angrily. "'Go away!' "'But I tell you, you're to come down, miss, this minute. "'Your mother says so,' said Kezia, "'going up to Maggie and taking her by the hand to raise her from the floor. "'Get away, Kezia. I don't want any dinner,' said Maggie, "'resisting Kezia's arm. I shan't come.' "'Oh, well, I can't stay. I've got to wait at dinner,' said Kezia, "'going out again. "'Maggie, you little silly,' said Tom, "'peeping into the room ten minutes after. "'Why don't you come and have your dinner? "'There's lots of goodies, and mother says you're to come.' "'What are you crying for?' "'Oh, it was dreadful. "'Tom was so hard and unconcerned. "'If he had been crying on the floor, Maggie would have cried too. "'And there was the dinner, so nice, and she was so hungry. "'It was very bitter. "'But Tom was not altogether hard. "'He went and put his head near her and said, in a low comforting tone, "'Won't you come then, Maggie? "'Shall I bring you a bit of pudding when I've had mine, and a custard and things?' "'Yes,' said Maggie, beginning to feel a little more tolerable. "'Very well,' said Tom, going away. But he turned again at the door and said, "'But you'd better come, you know. There's the dessert, you know.' Maggie's tears had ceased, and she looked reflective as Tom left her. His good nature had taken off the keenest edge of her suffering. Slowly she rose from among her scattered locks, and slowly she made her way downstairs. Then she stood, leaning with one shoulder against the frame of the dining-parlour door, peeping in when it was ajar. She saw Tom and Lucy with an empty chair between them, and there were the custards on a side-table. It was too much— she slipped in and went towards the empty chair, but she had no sooner sat down than she repented and wished herself back again. Mrs. Tulliver gave a little scream when she saw her, and dropped the large gravy-spoon into the dish with the most serious results to the tablecloth. Mrs. Tulliver's scream made all eyes turn towards the same point as her own, and Maggie's cheeks and ears began to burn, while Uncle Glegg, a kind-looking white-haired old gentleman, said, "'Heyday! What little girl's this? Why, I don't know her. Is this some little girl you've picked up in the road, Kezia?' "'Why, she's gone and cut her hair herself,' said Mr. Tulliver, in an undertone to Mr. Dean, laughing with much enjoyment. "'Why, little miss, you've made yourself look very funny,' said Uncle Pullet. "'Fie, for shame,' said Aunt Glegg, in her severest tone of reproof. "'Little girls that cut their own hair should be whipped and fed on bread and water, not come and sit down with their aunts and uncles.' "'Aye, aye,' said Uncle Glegg, meaning to give a playful turn. "'She must be sent to jail, I think, and they'll cut the rest of her hair off there, and make it all even. "'She's more like a gypsy than ever.' said Aunt Pullet in a pitying tone. "'She's a naughty child that'll break her mother's heart,' said Mrs. Tulliver, with the tears in her eyes. Maggie seemed to be listening to a chorus of reproach and derision. Her first flush came from anger. Tom thought she was braving it out, supported by the recent appearance of the pudding and custard. He whispered, "'Oh, my, Maggie, I told you you'd catch it.' He meant to be friendly, but Maggie felt convinced that Tom was rejoicing in her ignominy. Her feeble powers of defiance left her in an instant, her heart swelled, and, getting up from her chair, she ran to her father, hid her face on his shoulder, and burst out into loud sobbing. "'Come, come,' said her father, soothingly, putting his arm around her. "'Never mind, give over crying. Father'll take your part.' Delicious words of tenderness. 
Maggie never forgot any of these moments when her father took her part. She kept them in her heart, and thought of them long years after, when everyone said that her father had done very ill by his children. End of chapter 41 This recording is in the public domain.